Health and Wellness. Time for our health and wellness feature. Today we are discussing rare diseases on our health and wellness segment. Um, in fact, February is Rare Diseases Awareness Month. Um, the World Health Organization defines a rare disease as one that affects fewer than 65 per 100,000 people. So rare diseases can range from genetic diseases, uh, skin conditions, heart conditions, blood disorders, cancers, uh, pediatric conditions, you name it. Uh, but the most common and well-known rare diseases are your uh, sickle cell disease, your uh, cystic fibrosis, and um, hemophilia. But approximately about 4.2 million South Africans are affected by one of the 7,000 identified rare diseases, most of which have a genetic basis. And a total of every 15 South African that are affected, 50% to 70% are actually children. So do you or someone close to you struggle with a rare disease? What has been your experience? I want you to give us a call, please, on 11 or send us a WhatsApp on 072-702-1702. I often wonder if we have enough specialists in the country to deal with rare diseases and how affordable that treatment is because innovative treatments that are needed to survive are often unaffordable. I mean, I was reading last night about a patient who suffers from multiple myeloma who has to pay about 56,000 rand a month for their medication. So I want us to look at whether even government is doing enough to educate and invest in research into rare diseases. Because the last I checked, South Africa didn't even have its own definition of a rare disease, which is one of the major issues really uh, that need to be addressed by government. Kelly Duplessis is the CEO of Rare Diseases South Africa. Kelly, thank you for making time for us. Good morning. Well, thanks so much for having me this morning. So maybe let me just start by getting your own experience as a mother to a child with a rare disease. Like before having your child, were you aware of rare diseases? And upon discovering that, how did you navigate that? So certainly, no, I wasn't. Um, and I think, um, you know, the one thing that became quite apparent to me is that it's not your problem until it's your problem. Mm. Um, you know, and when my son was diagnosed, there was no, there was no. Um, support available there was no there was no one for us to go to there wasn't an organization uh, that could assist us in terms of what we were needing to fight for and i had to learn the whole process of navigating a medical scheme navigating the health department trying to get access to an unregistered medication all on my own um whilst dealing with an 11 month old baby that was nearing death mm. and it you know it was it was quite a challenge but I can tell you now that um, that same baby is now 14 years old, has just started um, high school and is thriving as a result of being able to access the intervention that he needed. Yeah, sure. So you have founded your organization in order to inform and educate people about rare disease. What have you learned over the years? I've learned that the challenges keep coming um, and I've learned that, you know, it's, you're never going to get it 100% right. Healthcare is one of those things that I think is a constantly evolving um, sector and new interventions are always becoming available. Research improves, new treatments become available. So it's always going to be a fast-moving um, fast animal that you need to care, you know, keep track of. 
I've also learned that with enough gin and enough political will that it is possible to move mountains in this space. Um, I was listening, you know, just before I started, you were talking, you know, there was an advert around the national tree and the fact that Powerball is going to be 56 million rand this year. And I was thinking that same 56, uh, 76 million rand um, could pro- probably treat 100 rare disease patients that are going to die without access to that in- intervention. And, you know, so it is, it's, quite a, it's quite a difficult space to play in. Um, but certainly I think we've made massive strides in terms of the achievements that we have in this country. And patients are better off um, now than what they were 14 years ago when my son was diagnosed. And and how affordable is is that kind of treatment? Um, I was reading about someone who suffers from multiple myeloma. Fifty six thousand rand a month is how much they have to pay for for their medication. How advanced is even our our medicine industry in dealing with rare diseases? Are we investing a lot in these innovative treatments? So no, I don't think we're investing enough. Um, certainly, how affordable are they? Um, I think that that's a that's a question of value. Um, bread is unaffordable to some people in this country. Um, you know, so when you when you change your perception of is it valuable enough to pay for it, I think that that changes that changes the context of whether or not it's affordable. You've got to look at what these interventions do for the patients that are needing them, and essentially speaking. You know, an intervention might, um, as an example, an improved um, headache tablet might take you the medication that you on your headaches, keeps you functioning at 80%, and the more expensive um, headache tablet might take you to functioning 85%. So you've had a 5% in, in, you know, increase in gains. Mm. Whereas if you're looking at the value of these interventions, they take people from dying um, and being completely uh, disabled, um, unable to care for themselves, completely reliant on the healthcare system as well as the social health, you know, social systems to being functional, um, well-contributing adults who are able to work, live normal lives and essentially live. And I think that that's, you know, that's, we, we always get stuck on this issue of RAND value and it, it doesn't come down to RAND value. It comes down to what the value of that intervention is to patients and the quality of life improvements that it gives them. And then all of a sudden they do become quite affordable um, or your perception on whether or not we should pay for them changes. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, just just help us. I'll, I'll go to some calls in a moment on 011-8830702 and, and WhatsApps on 0727021702. There are some listeners who are sharing their experiences with us. Can you just tell us about some of the most common rare diseases that, that, that have been found in South Africa? So some of the common uh, common rare conditions would be things like uh, multiple sclerosis, mm-hmm. uh, cystic fibrosis, lupus. Those are all, you know, uh, juvenile infantile arthritis. Those, those are things that um, you might know someone who's got it or, you know, they come, they come to mind. But then you get some of the very, very ultra-rare conditions where there might only be one family impacted in the entire country. Um, and, but the reality is for both those disease groups, the challenges remain the same. And accessing the interventions that are required remains equally as difficult for both sides. Uh, simply because of the fact that we don't have the necessary po- uh, policies in place and the, and the political will to develop something that is specifically aimed at treating these patients with these conditions. Do we even have our own definition of a rare disease in South Africa? 
We do now. Um, mm-hmm. We have adopted the WHO. Uh, right. We were one of the yeah. We were one of the participating countries that participated in the development of that, and so as a result of that, we do now. Oh, that, that's great to hear. And and once people, I suppose, have been diagnosed with that, um, how, when it comes to specialists particularly, do we have enough specialists in the country to deal with that? Or most times, people with rare diseases often have to fly out to, to get proper treatment. So, no, um, I think that there's always work that can be done in improving education um, and, you know, um, awareness amongst uh, clinicians and healthcare professionals. We don't have many centers of excellence and where we do, their resources are quite limited. So the amount of patients that can be seen within those centers remains limited. Uh, If you speak to most clinicians, they'll tell you that rare diseases was like a paragraph or it was like half a day within the entire medical journey. But if you go back to the statistic of one in 15 South Africans being impacted, every medical practice will have a few patients within that practice. Every doctor has seen these patients coming through their doors. And it isn't always necessarily about knowing exactly what the condition is and how to treat it. It's about knowing enough to know this isn't right and who you can go to for further support. Mm. And I think if we can get that referral mechanism improved within the South African sector, um, and we need to, you know, obviously bring the two sectors together where you don't have this massive dichotomy between the private sector and the public sector. If we can just improve the networking around, I can see that this patient has this sort of problem. I think that we need to refer them for improved uh, support. That in itself will, will make the world to these patients. Ah, okay, I see. Uh, It's 15 minutes before 12 o'clock when we come back. I will take your calls on 011-883-0702. You can send your WhatsApps on 072-702-1702. Do you suffer from a rare disease? And maybe you know someone who suffers from that. How have have they navigated that? How have you navigated that journey? I'll take your calls and WhatsApps after the break. You can call in with your questions as well. It's 14 before 12. 702. Health and wellness. 13 minutes before 12 o'clock on our health and wellness feature this morning. Uh, we are discussing rare diseases. Um, it's actually rare diseases month this month of February. And there are so many issues around the affordability of treatment, uh, issues around whether or not we've got enough specialists, the kind of investments that are needed. Um, in ensuring that we've got innovative treatments to survive. And, and many of those are often unaffordable. So I want to hear from you now in sharing your experiences. Let's start with some WhatsApp voice notes. Good morning, Clement. Uh, my younger sister, when she was pregnant in 1980, uh, she apparently picked up German measles. And as a result of that, she gave birth to a, a baby girl with severe cerebral palsy, a blind and couldn't speak as well, severe cerebral palsy. Uh, so this was uh, discovered when they were making tests after the baby was born. Uh, is this one of the rare diseases, German measles? I don't even know the signs there of being a nurse myself. Uh, thank you for the show. Uh, thank, thank you for, for your question. Uh, Kelly, are you aware of, of German measles? 
So German measles was was a, like a pandemic. It was like an endemic condition back in the day. And um, obviously vaccinations have done quite a bit in terms of eradicating that. Um, but it is still one one of the things that remains a very, very high risk for, for women. And uh, a lot of the time in your uh, prenatal counseling, et cetera, uh, your, you know, your gynecologist will find out and they will check if you have actually been um, vaccinated for German measles for this exact reason, because it does have a ma- massive impact. It beca- remains a high risk. And I mean, this isn't, it's not something that's rare. Cerebral palsy is not rare either. But this this just shows you what awareness can do. Um, if you're aware of the fact that you should, as a pregnant person, you know, make sure that you have been. If you if you're wanting to plan for pregnancies, make sure that you have had the necessary vaccinations. You know, that it just goes to show you that with that increased awareness, um, you can obviously have a much more, you know, much better outcomes, um, and these sorts of things can be prevented. Um, and it's you know it remains incredibly sad that that this you know the lack of awareness isn't there. Mm, yeah. Another question is: um, Is there any data to explain why rare diseases target children mostly? So it's not to say. So eighty percent of rare diseases are genetic, um, meaning that you are born with them either way. It's not to say that they target children more, but the conditions mm. that um, that you identify in children are a lot more severe. And because of the nature of those conditions and the symptoms being that much more progressive and that much more visible and obvious, um, there's this there's this notion that obviously children are more severely affected. So it's just that those conditions um, that are presenting in children are a lot more severe. But 80% of all rare diseases are genetic. Um, so even though you might only be identified with having it at the age of 60, um, you've obviously, you know, those diseases are a lot slower in terms of progression and therefore they're only identified much later on in life. Mm. Um, I've got another message from Vanessa uh, who says, good morning, Clement, regarding rare diseases, my a granddaughter has a very rare event, had a very rare event about three years ago. Um, at the time, she had just turned 13 years. It presented in a form of a stroke. After all the necessary intervention were done, it was found that she had an AVM, anterior venous malfunction. So it basically is veins that got entangled like a ball of wool um, that the cat got hold of. Uh, that the cat got hold of. So one of these veins ruptured and hence it presented like a stroke. The medical aid promised for various things to be paid from the PMB. But to date, the parents still battle to get authorization for treatment she needs. With the result, her medical bills are always excessive. Then we come to schooling for her because... When this happened, she was just going to high school. It literally happened a week before she had to go to school. She no longer can attend a normal school. So finding a school for her to attend was a mission. We eventually had to go private, which is costing an arm and a leg. So I can sympathize with people that suffer from rare diseases. Uh, Firstly, not all doctors know how to treat the condition. And like we now find schools, um, there are not enough schools that are are sufficiently equipped to deal with special cases. That's a message there from Vanessa. So that's another problem then, Kelly, right? When when you talk yeah. about, like, you, you really have these issues where the, the quality of your life is actually hindered and there are so many facets of your life that are affected. Yeah. 
So I think that, you know, Vanessa's story highlights a couple of issues. One is the lack of equitable access, even amongst, even for those patients that are in the private sector. It doesn't necessarily mean to say that your care is going to be better or that you're going to get the necessary interventions. And I'd like to say to Vanessa that they should possibly look at laying a complaint at Council for Medical Schemes against that medical aid for those claims because it surely sounds like it should be something that should have been reimbursed under prescribed minimum benefits. Secondly, I think it highlights the importance of the fact that these conditions are not necessarily only a healthcare priority, they become a social care priority as well. Um, and this is where the short sightedness from the health, you know, from a health expenditure perspective becomes such a frustration because we as society pay for these patients, whether we're supporting them in the healthcare sector or we're supporting them from a social care and an education point of view. And, and that is why social policies around rare diseases are not only just a healthcare thing. Um, you know, is it not better to give the patient the necessary healthcare interventions to be able to ensure that they can go on to leave, uh, lead a productive, normal life um, and be able to contribute towards GDP, go to school, get the necessary education, etc., and, you know, land up working in the workforce versus saying it's too expensive to pay for them in the healthcare sector and therefore we're going to land up paying for them socially for the rest of their lives because we haven't given them that intervention. Mm. And I think it, it perfectly, this, you know, this is a perfect scenario of improved awareness improved understanding, improved um, access to equitable uh, interventions would really have made a massive difference to this little girl's life. Yeah. Um, hey, guys. Um, mine basically is um, a condition known as, con- known as congenital anosmia. This is basically a condition in which a person is born with a, with a lifelong inability to smell anything. So basically, uh, as I've just mentioned, I've, I've had this thing my whole life. It's been really, really difficult to navigate through a lot of things. And yeah, it, it, it gets, you know, I mean, I've been in situations where I've eaten food that's gone bad and I've gotten sick from that. Or I've walked into a room where there was, you know, some terrible gas leakage thing, which I couldn't even pick up. And yeah, I've... I've had some horrible experiences with that. There is no cure, by the way, for congenital anosmia. It's got no known cure. Mm. And yeah, like I said, I basically have no idea how anything, and I mean anything, smells like good or bad. I do not know what smell is. Like, I have never smelled a thing in my life. Sure. Um, Kelly, I imagine this can take an emotional toll um, on people, and I wonder if the is enough support or at least awareness that is raised around the need for just emotional support because this can be a lot for some people to handle. Yeah, so I think, you know, again, it, it highlights the fact that um, just having people being aware of what the issue is, um, having necessary interventions to be able to assist you, even if it's from an emotional perspective, having, you know, a group of people who go through the same thing mm. that you can chat to and be like, you know, this is my experience this week. I, I ate the food that had, that had gone bad and this is the result. Having someone who's been through that, that you can speak to saying, you know, we acknowledge that it, it really, you know, that that's a very, very hard thing to go through and, and understanding and just providing you with that emotional support makes, means the world to these patients. Having a village that you can call yours, having people that, that have been through the same thing, 
means the world to these patients. I always say it's not necessarily the impact of the disease or the, or the symptoms of the condition and how it makes patients feel. It's that feeling of isolation, feeling of loneliness, feeling like no one understands. That emotional toil that you, know, that you live with every single day mm. is what leads these patients to not coping. Yeah. Kelly, thank you so much for the amazing work we, you do at Rare Diseases South Africa. I appreciate your time. Uh, Kelly Duplessis, the CEO of Rare Diseases South Africa.